And now, coming to you live from the Groshman Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strand and Gary K. Wolf with very special guest, Hugo Award-winning author Cameron Hurley on the Coot Street Podcast! And we're off. I don't know why I always say that. But... Okay, Cam, thank you for being with us and for, for, for tolerating everything that's happened on the podcast so far. But we want to congratulate you on a, on a, dual, on a, on a double Hugo Award win. Am I right? Or was oh, it thank triple? you. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm told. They haven't arrived yet, but yes, I'm, I'm told there were two, so I'm pretty excited. They were really good looking. I mean, I was I was there, and they're 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 very heavy. It's a good thing, probably a good thing you weren't there. Um, but did, <laughs> anything that you had in mind that could even happen off of what basically was a blog post? Oh gosh, um, you know, I was actually talking with uh, Aiden Mower uh, about it, I think after the, after the Hugo win. And, um, and yeah, there was really, it was just a matter of um, having absolutely no idea whatsoever. Uh, you know, you sit down and, and you write something, you go, ha ha ha, that's a little bit silly. I don't think Aiden's going to go for this. Um, oh. You know, at the time his blog uh, was, was certainly much more popular than mine. And uh, he actually came to me and said, Hey, can you just do something about writing, you know, like women, I know that that's like your background in historical studies and, and you've looked at, uh, you know, women's roles in, in uh, revolutionary movements. It'd be really great. And yeah, I, uh, I had no idea. I was like, ah, oh, llamas. Ha ha ha. How funny. <laughs> it was just, um, yeah, it was weird. <clears throat> and we also should congratulate you on the Mirror Empire, which is getting a lot of uh, favorable attention i i gather from what i've, I've seen you say that it's getting it's, it's it's upsetting some people as well uh you know it, it's not upsetting i think any more than god's word did um so which but it's upsetting them in just the right way so sure. it's it's uh, making people a little uncomfortable and having to question some things that they thought were normal which to me that's my job with that's my goal in life um so i'm i'm actually very pleased with a lot of the reactions were you setting out to, I mean, how, how do you, how would you like your work to upset people? Um, I would like it, and I, I think upset's probably the wrong word. I would like it to challenge people. Um, I'm definitely all about, uh, you know, putting people into other, you know, different situations and saying, okay, here's the way that you think the world operates and you think that humanity can always be and everything has always been this way. Um, again, as a, as a student of history, you know, obviously the world has not always been <laughs> the way it's been. Um, I, in my own lifetime, the world has not been what people think it always has been. Um, so I'm very interested in how we tell the stories of ourselves uh, and of other people and, you know, erase others and rewrite things. And so for me, I love that idea of bringing people to an entirely different place, you know, with very different social norms and saying, okay, all those things that you thought were normal and that were completely like, oh, of course, this is the way it's going to be or not. You know, why does it have to be that way? Especially when you're writing a fantasy novel, for goodness sakes. Um, so I think it's it's challenging people in the ways that I really wanted to challenge them, which uh, to me is very gratifying. Yeah, challenging is a good word. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that, here's a writer that I bet nobody has compared you with. Because there's nothing really in the fiction that would make you comparable, but what you just said made me think of Lavi Tidar. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Who wants to challenge people, and it's a completely different kind of fiction, but he wants to challenge people in the same way you just described, which is that no matter what your position is, no matter what your comfort zone is, if you think, uh, well, if, if he thinks he's, if, if you're a Lavi Tidar reader and you think you're reading an Israeli-centric novel in some way, you're not. He's going to challenge that. There are right. definitely things in um, The Mirror Empire that that would challenge a traditional feminist reading of the book. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that, yeah. that's, that's, if you're, you're kind of keeping everybody off balance in the same way that he does, is what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Yeah, which, um, and I think I get the impression that he also delights in doing that in a similar way. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, kind of subverting really people's does. expectations. <laughs> well, his new novel has a, uh, the protagonist is a down-at-the-heels private guy in 1939 London named Adolf Hitler, um, <laughs> who, who lost the election in 1933. It's just, and it's not, it's not even going to be published in the States. You've got a character, you at a point of view character who just goes out and commits genocide because that's her job. Mm -hmm. uh, that has to upset yep. some people. Yep. 
Yeah, it's uh, well, and I think it's very interesting because I think it upsets people more because it's a female character. Um, a lot of people actually started asking themselves. It's been very fascinating reading reviews where they said, "Well, you know, if this was a male character, like that's that is like the bad guy, right? Like that's what he does is he goes out and commits genocide." And people have been really put off that it's this female character who has this these decisions really? that she needs to make. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was weird. Um, that just again, uh, some of the reading with you know God's War and Nyx was also kind of the same way, where people had to go, oh wait, if this was a dude, I'd have a very different um, idea of this. And actually, as a woman, this seems very monstrous. And then I realized it's baby, basically an '80s action hero. <laughs> like, yes, she is. Um, so, uh, so some of that's very interesting. Is looking at uh, yeah, looking at what folks have to say about it. <laughs> on the uh, on the other hand, I mean, just I, I don't want to go through the. Too many details, since obviously people listening to us haven't read the novel, and that's the first part of a, a trilogy anyway. But the one character that I thought looked like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, macho, you know, Rambo kind of tough guy turns into a woman halfway through. <laughs> and I thought that was really cool. Because the characters <laughs> don't know how to deal with it either, or her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, that that's that was a fun character to write and continues to be a very fun character um, because, again, I think it challenges a lot, a lot of people assume about gender um, and about, you know, physical expressions of gender versus, you know, sort of an internalized gender um, and what we're actually, you know, what how people put other people into boxes and whether self-identification yeah. of gender, you know, with the die, like you self-identify. Um, what, whether, again, a lot of people don't, don't realize like the, the bomb that can go off as far as the die go because they self-identify. So everybody I'm telling you is a certain gender is how they identify. So, well, that's who they are. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with their reproductive function or not. Um, and I think some people have picked up that that's something possibly that could be a bomb uh, that I might use later. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it's been very interesting. And then, you know, you look at the, the Seiduan who actually have an entirely third gender and they actually, you know, put everyone, everyone is put into a box by society. So it's much more similar to us, but they have those three and it's like, there's just those three, you're assigned those three and one of those three and that's it. There's no, there you will not change. That is what they say that you are. Um, and I think it's been very interesting to see reactions to that where we go, you know, what, uh, again, because conceptions of gender in our own, again, in our own history and our in different cultures have changed over time. And so I think it's very interesting to look at it, other societies and how they, you know, would would approach that in a fantastic setting. It's not something people do right in epic fantasy. It's like, oh, it's like pseudo medieval, you know, kind of Tolkien-esque. And we don't go into the cultural um, differences that a lot of these societies have, which is very sad for me. Cause again, I, I look at history of different societies and they're fascinating and the cool stuff that we can come up with and then we don't do it very much. Um, and uh, so it's been very fun to, to explore that in Mirror Empire. Okay. Interesting. Go no, no, you go ahead, Gary. Jonathan. Sorry. I was just going to say, because, because Cam, you did come out of an academic background and you sure. had uh, done advanced degrees in this area. And, and it seems to me that there are, um, this is a tre tremendous overgeneralization, over which I'm making up as I go along, that, that there are people who have studied history, and history informs the fantasy in a very specific way. Um, I mean, Guy Gabriel Kay does enormous research. Mm, and, uh, yeah. uh, certainly, um, Nicola Griffith did a huge amount of research. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that academic approach. And then there's another approach that I see in, in, in fantasy trilogies, mostly written by people who seem to have read a lot of other fantasy trilogies. And mm -hmm. there isn't any sort of, um, there's no gravity to it. There's, there, there's no center of, I can recognize some parts of this in, in cultures I know about in the history of the world, because these, these, these are completely made up. They're all, they're all Tolkien men caves, really. Um, yeah. And the sense that I had is that you must have given a lot of thought uh, to the world. And I'm, I'm just guessing here. A lot of thought to the um, Mirror Empire before you even started writing anything about it. Sure. Well, yeah. Um, which I would hope every writer would do, <laughs> you know, but I think it comes to different things, right? I mean, I talked to other writers, they spend a lot of time on like magic systems and maps 
a lot of people want to know about my maps and world building. But when we talk about world building, we talk about maps and and uh, magic, and we don't talk about societies, which I find really interesting. And I, that's just conversations with other writers. Um, if you just kind of assume, well, you know, they're they're you know vaguely patriarchal, or you know, oh maybe maybe there's a matriarchy, uh, but you don't. <clears throat> excuse me. You don't get into like the nitty gritty of like, is it, you know, how, how do people eat? Is cannibalism okay? Um, do they have multiple marriages? Is it polygamy? Is it, do they have multiple yeah. husbands? Do they have multiple wives? That, that doesn't get talked about as much. What I find, I, I don't know why it is. And, and, and just reading, um, you know, reactions to Mere Empire, I found it interesting that it is so difficult for a lot of people to read because they, they're all the expectations that you would bring to a book like this. Um, they find a lot of them being like, you know, interrogated and shattered and they have to like relearn with every single new society what the cultural mores and, and things are. And that's been uh, been a real challenge. And I think that the reason that is honestly is because we don't do it in other fantasy books. I think if, if, if that was the fantasy trope was you're going to get a different society every time you open up a fantasy book, I think it'd be easier for people. But they come in with an expectation. Oh, well, of course, it'll be, oh, maybe there'll be some women fighters, you know, because that's kind of the hip new thing you know, for people to do. But they don't yeah. come in with an expectation that there's going to be a challenge in that, that arena. Do you think that works against the success of a novel like The Mirror Empire? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I, I, which I understood. I understood going in that it was going to be, again, um, anything that I think it's uh, Justin Landon uh, in his review called it The Gauntlet. Um, and I've been uh -huh. discussing it in these terms with uh, some editors I'm working with, where there is that gauntlet you have to go through as a reader when you are first introduced to this brand new world with all these new things. Uh, and that turns a lot of people off. Those first 50 pages will make or break a reader. You're not That's going to get, you know, Hunger Games style million bazillion copies sold with a book that has a 50 page gauntlet. Um, but the readers you do get are going to, you know, love you forever and think it's amazing. But to some extent, so. isn't the gaunt that gauntlet almost an, a natural part of the form for science fiction? I think so. And and, and I think th this, this, again, goes into, are, you know, are we talking business? Are we talking writing? Because from the business standpoint, and I think about this a lot, from a business standpoint, people want to make things as, you know, easy and relatable. Like, again, you want to write a near-future science fiction thriller. If you're going to write a fantasy, you want it to be a medieval fantasy. You want something very familiar that people can latch on to. For me, that's not the reason that I read this stuff. You know, I, I read a lot of new weird, um, you know, and I read Angela Carter and I, I read weird stuff. So I, I really like that part about science fiction and fantasy. I find it fascinating. I'm actually reading um, Richard Morgan's 13 right now. And I'm like, you know, this is the stuff that I love. I love figuring out like what, how does the world work and where are people and what is earth like now? And Oh, who's over. I think that's great. But if you want to sell, you know, 5 million copies, you, they are generally not books with a gauntlet like that. And I've, I've discussed that, you know, John Scalzi talks a lot about that too, is he wants to write really accessible fiction because if you want a broad market, it needs to be accessible. Um, but I, trying to straddle this middle line where I want to write really weird, awesome, cool stuff, but enough that I can also make some money because that would be nice. <laughs> so it's hard. Oh. It's really, really been hard for me. So. Well, it seems to me there are different kinds of gauntlets. I mean, you're absolutely right. If you create a world that doesn't look like worlds people have seen, um, it's going to be a challenge. And it's, it's obviously, it's equally true that the first hugely successful fantasy series after Tolkien were the ones that looked a lot like Tolkien. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me the gauntlet in Hard SF, the gauntlet in reading um, uh, a Greg Egan novel, is like an entrance exam for college. It's it's <laughs> it's not a narrative gauntlet. It's a conceptual gauntlet. It's not, if I can figure out the physics of this, if I can figure out that the speed of light is variable in this universe, and if I can understand the equations, then the story will make sense. That's a little bit different from the kind you're talking about, where you have a world which does not click into place with previous fantasies that you've read and you have to kind of read this novel as though you're reading your first fantasy novel. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a, it's a much more, the, the hurdle you have to get over is just a little bit higher for a lot of people. Do you think, sorry. Go, no, go ahead. So do you think that, um, what was, well, where a book like yours sits is 
you know, like the Mirror Empire, is it's a book that actually is now in a world where the techniques, approaches, and thoughts of science fiction and fantasy are being really intermingled rather than simply talked about. I mean, we've been talking about, I mean, for many years, but particularly the last decade or so, about how the barriers between science fiction and fantasy break down, how the tools and tropes you use are merging in many ways. But it seems to me it's only been quite recently we're starting to see books come out where that kind of thing is really backgrounded and is fundamental to what the book is. And so there are things about Mirror Empire that, that are uh, of science fiction, some sort of that are of fantasy. They take techniques, bits and pieces. It seems a much more natural blending, if you like, of, of that than I've seen in the past. And I wonder if you think that that's a point, if that's something's becoming more mature now, that, that this is an example of it really happening. Well, but, you know, uh, books I love to death, Gene Wolfe's books, right? Mm. Which, to mm. me, that's that's what he does. Is mm. is it mm. fantasy? Is it science fiction? Sure. I love that. You know, then at the end of, was it the Long Sun books where, and now we're on a spaceship, and you're like, what the <laughs> heck is going on? Um, yeah. And uh, I love that. I love those books. I love it. If Because, to me, uh, there's no, you know, and I'll, I'll get people yelling at me, but there's no difference to me. Is it a spaceship? There's spaceship. You know, it's God's word. It has spaceships and shapeshifters and magicians and aliens. And it's like, what is our fantasy or science fiction? Um, and that's how I feel about Mirror Empire. And I've tried to, as much as possible, you know, up the, the epic fantasy elements because it's a little bit easier to sell epic fantasy. But it's certainly very much the same way where it's like, and there's parallel universes and these weird satellites that like blink in and out of existence between these parallel universes. It's weird. Um, and I love that um, because to me, I read for um uh i read for the weird right that that sense of wonder mm -hmm. and i think the cooler in the you know the the more you limit yourself then you limit the the awe that you can bring to your work and i don't want to do that i want to really sort of throw those shutters wide open and say okay well here's this amazing sandbox this is the best sandbox in the whole world why aren't we using all of it um that's why i don't write literary fiction it just i it, the sandbox was too narrow for me so if i have fantasy and science fiction why wouldn't i use my whole sandbox um so to me i figured I, I just i throw everything in it's everything in the kitchen sink it all goes in there and i love it um so yeah as far as you know is is that like uh, a trend or the maturity of the genre uh, to be honest you, you you've got to keep in mind also i mean mirror empire has sold quite a few books and that's awesome um it's going to be reprinted but it's not you know uh, this is not, I don't know that, it, that we're talking game changing uh, at this point. It's certainly something that I love to do. Um, and I'm trying to think of like, if there were others, like, could, I mean, can you guys even like, like who are do the science fiction guys that's like new? Um, I mean, I can think of things in the past, but I yeah. don't know that it's, it's like a trend, right? Or something that people are like, oh, let's do this. Because to be honest, and his answer Larry Justice was very much traditional space opera, right? Sure, really sure. great space opera. It's, it's solid, chunky, fun stuff that doesn't punch you in the face. And I, I, I feel that's one of the things that made it very successful. But it's not, uh, I don't get that, again, it, it, it's you know, bringing together a bunch of different forums and is huge genre mashups as far as those are the ones that we're seeing are, you know? Yeah, yeah conceptually, it's most challenging. We, we talked to Anne um, mm -hmm. uh, on the podcast. And it, I mean, it, it, it gets more discussion for its you know, controversial use of pronouns than anything else. But, if you, uh, but you know, Le Guin had done exactly the opposite, yeah. much, much more conventional um, in, in the left hand of darkness. But it strikes me that the kind of books you're talking about aren't necessarily seen as game changers when they're published. When you mentioned Gene Moore, for example. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, the, the book, The New Sun, everybody thought this is terrific. Uh, you, you go back through the entire, what amounts to a 12-volume novel, really, if you look at the mm -hmm. whole thing. And years later, decades later, we can say, oh, okay, that was one of the three or four most important science fiction mm -hmm. slash fantasy for the 20th century. But at the time, people thought, oh, yeah, this is Gene doing his thing again. Sure. And, and that's a good point, too, is that we're, we're looking at this from right now, right? And I don't know in five years, 10 years, what people will, if people will remember even the Mirror Empire. So, yeah, it, and, it, and it's your own work, right? So you're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, can't really, <laughs> I can't really say. I was certainly shocked at, at, at a lot of the, the response to God's War. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I I think it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what 
what the market does. And again, I, I look at this from two ways, right? I have my business minded stuff, you know, I work in marketing and advertising as my day job. And then I have my mm -hmm. sort of writer brain stuff. And so I'm always constantly like, on one side, look, trying to look at it from both ways. And it's, it's always very difficult because what, again, as you said, what the market does, uh, you know, that it changes so quickly. It could be, you know, in six, everybody goes, oh, okay, it's, it's totally going to be a uh, space opera. And then, you know, it's not. Um, so I'm, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm curious. You mentioned, you know, a aspects of, of the market a number of times you started writing really, you know, back at well, the end of the 90s, the early, beginning of the early 2000s. And, you know, your first novel came out in, what, 2011. Has your publishing career been anything at all like you thought it would be? Twenty-four. I thought, you know, when I when I started submitting stuff at fifteen, I was like, you know, by the time I'm twenty-four, I'll certainly be making a making a living writing novels, and that'll be uh -huh. no problem. <laughs> you know, um, I was really happy. God's War. You know, it was. I think it, it came out uh, like just before I turned thirty. So I was like, okay, I got a novel out by twenty-nine. Thank you, by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> um, so that was awesome. Um, I know. I guess no, because it was sold the first time so I guess I was 30 oh man it sucks because it was bought once and then it was it was had to be bought again but anyway um so uh, you know I have to say no yeah I, I mean I I certainly thought this I I was one of those writers and I think most writers are like this because you don't know the business when you're first writing you're just spending 20 years honing your craft um you know you think okay the first book comes out and then it's it's all easy after that right oh I published the first book and now everyone's gonna want a book for me and it's gonna be great um and in fact, it doesn't work that way. There's a lot of stuff that has to do with the market, that has to do with your sales numbers, that has to do with relationships in the genre. Um, and those are things I really didn't take into account. It was just like with life where you go, oh, I just have to work hard and I'll be successful. And it doesn't always work that way. Um, in the genre, certainly persistence has been a huge one. When people realize that you're serious, I think you know, when I came out with, um, uh, by the time I got to my third book, people were like, okay, well now you're, you're, so you're not a one hit, you know, like, okay, I'm just gonna write one book and trottle off into, into the night. Um, they're like, all right, we're serious about this. So yeah, um, for the most part, I don't think anything, anything about it, uh, has been the way that I thought it would be, uh, except work. The work is really hard. <laughs> and I, uh, I expected that. Um, I went to Clarion and um, Clarion was an interesting experience because there were several writers who came out of it and said, if this is what this business is, I don't want to do this. This is ridiculous. And I was like, okay, if this is what this business is, then okay, that's what we're going to do. Um, oh. And so I was prepared for that. I was prepared for the endless work, the endless rewriting, um, you know, the never quite good enough, the always doubting yourself and carrying on that stuff I was ready for. Um, the business stuff is crazy, just crazy, and that that's where been a little go, bit harder to get used to. Where did you go to Clarion, and uh, and what was that like for you? Um, I went to Clarion West in 2000, and so I was in Seattle, and uh, that was a huge, huge moment. That that changed my life. I, at the time, I was living in uh, Alaska. I was going to school at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks, and. I had was planning to graduate, you know, that next summer and stay in Alaska. Uh -huh. And I was like, I'll just live in a little cabin in the woods and I'll just write some books and have a, you know, you know, little admin job and that'll be my life for the rest of my life. Could've, and I went to Clarion. It could have been, oh. been David Marisette. Yes, oh. I, I, he was one of my writing instructors. Yes. Yeah, I oh. uh, actually was uh, in a workshop with David. Yeah, he, uh, uh, I had a, he taught a class in genre fiction. Cool. So small world, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so I was like, okay, that's that's a path. <laughs> so, but yeah, I uh, I uh, went to Clarion, and all of a sudden I was with all these people who had been to like Stanford, and one was a doctor, and one had a PhD, and all these people who were like amazing. Um, and I'm going to this little Podunk University on student loans. Um, but when it, we talk, when it came to the work. Right. When we sat down to the work, I realized I was on par right with all these people. And I said, yeah. you know what? My work is good enough. Um, I have really strong work. I should really expect more from myself. Um, and that kind of got me out into the world. I went, I went and got my graduate degree uh, in Durban, South Africa, and I moved to Chicago and um, ended up in Ohio, you know, doing marketing advertising writing. 
Um, and I really started to, to really push myself because I said, well, if I'm, if I'm, if this is something that I'm really good at, then, and I can hold my own with these people who are incredibly smart, um, I should really do better. <laughs> so I, I started holding myself to a higher standard. Um, and, you know, and that was also the, I always tell this story about, you know, Jeff Ryman, the second week where he said, you know, Cameron, I find your story personally offensive and I think it suffers from a failure of the imagination. Uh, and I was like, you know, like freaking out, like this is terrible. <laughs> but now I have that voice in the back of my head, Jeff Ryman's voice. I think this suffers from a failure of the imagination. And like, that's the worst thing you can say. Um, but it was very motivational for me because now whenever I approach my work, and I go, this is lazy. Oh, Cameron, no, that's not what, that's, you're just doing what everyone else does. Don't do what everyone else does, do what Cameron would do. Um, and it's really forced me to really um, raise the bar in a lot of the things that I do. So it was, it was a big deal for me. Do you feel part of what you're doing is learning what Cameron would do more? Uh, yeah, more and more. I, I do. I think what, what Cameron would do, and it is very funny when you become, I think Elizabeth Bear calls it the authorial construct, right? People who don't know you, but they just know your work. And so they've built this idea of you. And there's this work that people think of as Cameron's work. Um, and so I need to start. And it was funny. It was funny because Daniel Abraham had said this, like this was years ago when I was still a baby writer. I hadn't published anything. And it was on Facebook or something. And he had said something about, uh, what uh, what a, a writer owes their audience. I'm like, they don't know them anything. Screw <laughs> those people, whatever. Um, and now I look at it and you start to realize when you get all this fan mail from people, you changed my life, you saved my life. I left an abusive relationship. I moved around the world. I came out to my parents. I did like all these things that people do because they were inspired by your work. And you realize that you've become something, I don't know what that thing is, but you, you are become part of something that's bigger than yourself. Um, and so I needed to decide, yeah, what, what does, what is a Cameron book and what do I stand for? And, um, what are the things that people, you know, should come to expect, uh, when they approach a Cameron book, um, and to not like sell out like those, those values. I mean, yes, pay me lots of money, but there are things that I'm not, <laughs> that I'm not going to write about. Um, you know, one of those was, um, the, the sexual abuse of female characters where I just said, you know, I've just decided that I'm, that's not something I'm going to write about. There's plenty of people who write about it. That's great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so there's different sorts of things where I'm like, I, I think that people need to know that when they come to my work that, yeah, there's going to be some interrogations and of their preconceptions, particularly to do with, you know, societies and, and, and people and, and gender, certainly. Um, and then also, you know, there's, I obviously have a very interesting fascination with like war and genocide. Um, and that's just stuff that I bring. And will that change? Certainly. I'm sure that will change as, as you know, I change, but that's, uh, something that I'm, I'm very interested in, something that my work, uh, always seems to tend to explore. So yeah, I think I'm figuring, I'm figuring it out too. It's, it's weird to be part of something that seems to be growing, right? Like it seems to be, there's something <laughs> happening, right? Yeah, Cause you're, you're on the inside, but. But again, like with the the Hugo Awards and all the uh, the emails I got afterwards, where people were like, it was electric. They were like that that whole night was just incredible. And then they mm -hmm. called your name and Aiden's name, and you were up again. We got Julie, and then it was Mary, and then it was Anne, and they were like, it was like, you know, the the, the house of cards fell, and it was beautiful. And um, so uh, so so hearing all about that was uh, was interesting. So so watching it. Um, is it's it's a very odd place for me to be right now so we'll see well, the audience reaction including the people sitting on either side of me when your name was announced was indeed electric there was a lot of sort of screaming and fist pumping going on <laughs> uh, and i think that's terrific i mean it, 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 because in, in in the first place i think there is this challenging aspect uh, of what you're doing which is which I, I'm, I'm gonna make a guess here because jeff ryman is kind of a good friend and i'm guessing when he said uh, what he said about your fiction, that he wasn't talking about a failure of imagination so much as he was talking about pulling punches, that you weren't yeah. saying what yeah. you really wanted to say um, yeah. and what was in you to say. I have the same conversation with, with the writers that I've well, sort of kind of worked with where they, you know, at, 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 there's a certain point at which you know what they want to say and they figure, well, whatever the market, the editor, whoever I'm trying to please now, I can't do this. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I probably shouldn't name the one I have in mind, but I'll tell you later. But there is, <laughs> I, I think that's what Jeff had in mind. You know, you learn to get your own voice, and sometimes getting your own voice involves taking a risk. Yes. And sometimes the risk, you know, in the long run may or may not pay off. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's uh, and that's I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, it, it's really scary, and and I think it's been also really scary to realize some of the things that I want to write about. Right, again, war and genocide. <laughs> We're like, whoa, really? Um, the things, the things that uh, fascinate and, and interest me. And uh, again, because you also have to really have a really thick skin. I mean, I know there's people who don't read reviews and stuff, but. It doesn't matter these days. I mean, it, it, if you are out in public at all whatsoever, people are going to tell you exactly what they think. And it's a very interesting place to be where if you're going to put something on the page, you... And in fact, that was also something Jeff had told me is to take responsibility for the, the images you put on the page. And that's exactly. been something that, yeah, that, that's even huge for me where I'm like, if I'm going to make this decision um, and people go after all the time, oh, we all have to be PC, and we all have to do this and that. And I'm like, no, you need to say, I'm making this decision knowing that it's problematic or that there's all this other stuff going on around it. Um, and if you still make that decision, then you had better have a really good reason for it and you better know what the F you're doing. Um, and so that's something also that when I write about things, again, I, I write about stuff that's, uh, that's very challenging where I have to go, okay, if I'm going to have this happen to this character, or I'm going to choose to make a society that's this way, I need to understand everything that's going on around this. And if I say go, okay, well, I need to accept the consequences of that as well. Um, and so that's also, that's also been really, uh, really interesting as, as my work, uh, continues. So one of the things that um, I think well, I, I have no idea what kind of reaction you've gotten uh, to the novel when you when you talk to people and on because and you're right everybody's a reviewer everybody can post something on the web and that sort of thing but one of the things that was really interesting is that even though I think a, a, a large portion of the readership thinks of you as a feminist writer which no longer has a single meaning anyway. There are things in, certainly in, uh, well, actually there are things in all of your work that I've read, but uh, certainly in The Mirror Empire that challenge a conventional construction of feminism. Is that a fair way to put it? Uh, sure, I'll have to hear examples. Yeah, you know, what, like what? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the main thing I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about is, is, is the general who, uh, even oh, though so she's involved <laughs> in committing genocide against her own heritage, also, will go home and casually rape her, her husband, who is mm -hmm. one of the more interesting characters in the novel. Um, mm -hmm. and, okay, the reason I mention that is that I think, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with this book, but, and I'm, I'm, I'm being unfair if you're not, I think one of the unacknowledged cornerstones of feminist science fiction and fantasy is a four-volume series of novels by Susie McKee Charn. It's called The Holdfast Chronicles. Mm, yeah, yeah. Which suffered just from, the, just from the history of publishing. There was like a I think a 10-year gap between the second and third volume and a 25-year gap between the first volume and the last volume. So it didn't have the impact. And, and having studied the market, you'll know what the impact is. You've got to get the books out on time. It yeah. didn't have the long-range impact that it could have. But the last volume in which the, uh, the, 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 the women are, are basically ascendant, there are elements of that that are a lot like the culture that you portray in the Mirror Empire. And mm. she did not get a lot of... She did not get a lot of accolades for that. She got good reviews, but to some extent, I think people who thought, oh, we, we, we've got a warrior women thing going on here and wait till they win. And I don't think Susie would object to my saying this. When they win, they're not that much better. Yeah. Well, and, and this is what people don't, and, and I got this with God's War too, because God's War is a matriarchy, right? Well, yeah. And machine's a matriarchy. And it's not a happy matriarchy. A lot of people are like, oh, if women are in charge, be so peaceful. And I'm like, no, any time that you are actively suppressing and it half of the population, that's going to be mm -hmm. messed up. Um, you know, there are more egalitarian societies uh, in the Mirror Empire, and that was what I was really interested in showing was a multiplicity of societies, not like, oh, this is right or this is wrong. Um, instead saying, you know what, any time that you are grinding someone down under your heel, you're, no, you're not creating a great society. It's messed up. In fact, there are flaws in every single society. Um, but I am very interested in, and to be, you know, to be honest, I read again a lot of the, the feminist science fiction and stuff from the 70s and 80s. And, uh, and it was like, you know, oh, we'll just hold hands and it'll be wonderful. And, you know, men will just naturally, you know, whatever, it'll be fine. Um, and, and I was like, no, I think if you're going to actively 
you know, suppress people. If it is, if it is a true matriarchy, a true matriarchy is then you are going to have to make sure only women are in power. How are you going to do that? Well, how do guys make sure that they are only men are in power? It's not nice. It's not nice. <laughs> Looking like the same. Reverse. There's a egalitarian. Yeah, I mean, feminism is just equality, right? But matriarchy is different to me than feminism. Matriarchy is, uh, you know, only women are allowed in places of power. Feminism is a, a set of, you know, I ideals and political beliefs where it's like, yeah, we should all have the same rights. So that's more egalitarian. Um, and, and yeah, and I think there's some conflation that, that people do a lot with like, oh, well, it's, it must, this must be what, this is the real end goal of feminism. And I'm like, no, there's also a patriarchy in the yeah. book and there's also an egalitarian. This is just people, um, being people and being horrible people sometimes and sometimes being delightful people. So, yeah. I wonder if there's time, there's no such word as genderism, is there? I mean, there's nothing... When you're dealing with multiple genders, and it, it's, this is something else which is becoming uh, not quite commonplace, but you, know, you certainly have it in the Mirror Empire, but in, I don't know, in, in, in Kim Stanley Robinson's 2318, is that right, 2312? 12. 12. There are like 11 genders that you can choose from and change back and forth during your lifetime. Um, and the whole sort of emerging idea when gender becomes elective is that you can choose what gender you are, which means that the oppression is not the oppression of inherited gender or the oppression of what sex you are, but the, impression, the oppression of anybody by anybody else. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with that at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, well, I, I, I do think it's an interesting uh, discussion, right? And then I think that some of that is, uh, is there's a lot of discussions going on online, and it's been very much easier to have discussions with people about gender and people who identify uh, as a multiplicity of genders or change how they uh, identify. Um, and you're because we're all much more connected now. It's been a lot easier to. There's been a lot. It's been a lot easier to see that and to see. The diversity, uh, you know, this of, of people, which is awesome. And I think the nice thing is that now we can we're seeing a little more exploration of that in fiction too, which is really fabulous. Um, again, we don't just have the same. Yeah, it's like oh, there are four television stations, so that's all you would ever see. And now with the internet, it's like now you get to see everybody. Uh, and I think it's really cool that that's leading over into fiction too. I was thinking of that because some new TV series which I've not seen called Transparent. Uh, oh, which, it's good. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to see that, but I was yeah. thinking because uh, there, there, there's been in the in the last several years a, a vis probably a higher visibility in the science fiction and fantasy community of trans people than there are in the general population. But because of the internet, because of blogging, and because of the kind of uh, interaction that occurs on the web, everybody in this field seems to know they seems to feel that they have some trans friends now. And these are people who probably would never have met anybody in real life at all that they knew uh, was a trans person. Mm -hmm. Well, but I think you also uh, that that has happened in the wider, more general culture, um, you know, just with the gay rights movement. Right. Where everyone was like, because you, you were closeted, you just wouldn't say it because you would be beaten and killed uh, for in a lot of instances. Right. So you just didn't talk about it. Um, right. And there's been a lot more. Uh, Again, it's been a lot easier for people to actually say, well, actually, I was born differently than maybe I present as or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and the same thing with, with gay rights. And everybody's like, oh, actually, wow, my, half my family, like, I have all these family members who are completely yeah. not straight. <laughs> I just assume because, again, four television stations and these are the boxes that we have and there's no other boxes. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's been... Uh, you know, not only that, but also, and I think we're, we're also discounting there's been a lot of, um, you know, trans activism, um, just like with, sure. you know, with gay rights activism, where people are actively oh, yeah. going out and saying, we need to make sure that we're not being erased and that people aren't forgetting and that people understand that, that we exist. Um, and that has been a, uh, a, a certainly much more, um, you know, prominent, I guess I would say, movement um, that people are speaking out and saying, it's not okay to erase me. Um, and that's, it's funny because everyone, <laughs> yeah, the pushback to all this is like, oh, I don't know why this is such a big deal and this, it was never this way. It's, like, it's always been this way. It's just no one talked about it. It wasn't cool to talk about. Um, and I think it's it's really great that, yeah, we're, we're talking about it more. I'm curious, what's been the biggest surprise for you about having a public persona as Cameron Hurley? Uh, 
you know, over the last four or five years as your career has built and become more public, you know, because if you look, I mean, you are integ- you know, interacting through all social media, whatever else, and now people feel they know you when, when they've never met you. Uh, you are talking earlier about the impact the books themselves have had on people and how you hear back about that. So, I mean, how aware do you remain when you're writing about about in, you know, maintaining or having this public aspect of yourself and how, how strange is it to have to be aware of managing that and interacting with that through social media? Um, you know, there's a, uh, I, it's funny. I actually don't have as much difficulty with this online because I've been doing this for so long since 2004. I've had a blog. Um, it, it's actually easier for me because I can actually think about the words I'm typing. And so I'm very aware, like, okay, this tweet needs to be clear what I'm saying because <laughs> yeah. I've seen tweets. People will say things and they, that is not at all what they meant to say. And people take a tweet out of context and it becomes, you know, you're a horrible person and you're advocating yeah. genocide and you want to kill all men or whatever. Um, and so you need to be very aware of that. Um, but I actually have the, the toughest part of this has been uh, public appearances for me. I have to, uh, I'm an introvert and I'm very good with words on the page. Uh, when I come to do appearances, I really like to prepare crazy ahead of time because mm. there are people now who are recording everything that you say mm. and they're live tweeting everything that you say. Yeah. Um, and so that has actually been, uh, I felt more pressure in those sorts of environments where I realized every single fan interaction I have had also has the, um, it has the impact. It can either turn a fan into a super fan. They're like, wow, Cameron is really nice. Or it can turn someone who's like, oh, well, that was nice. A nice book that she wrote it to hate you. Um, yeah. And, you know, that interaction means everything. Um, you know, that, that, that's huge. Um, so those have actually been the ones that, uh, that I've been carefully trying to manage. Um, I don't do a lot of public appearances just because, again, I have a day job, so I only have so much much time. Um, And it is just so much effort for me. I I spend a lot of time um, trying to to work on things. Um, But yeah, I think um, it's, there's there's never a time when I'm I'm not aware. Um, I had actually a, a reader of We Have Always Fought, you know, who emailed me, I think eight months or 10 months um, after it had come out and said, Hey, you know, you kind of erased trans women in this sentence, you know, could you fix that? And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. I can totally fix that. But there's, it's funny because I have to remember that these people, when they email me, they don't know me. So the fact that this person came to me and was like, you kind of hurt me was, and, and doesn't know how you're going to react. And I had to remember how brave this person was for coming to me and for pointing this out. Um, because at the end of the day, they're doing me a favor. Cause if I really am an ally and I'm really trying to like, you know, be able you know, to represent the full diversity and awe and coolness and greatness that, that is everyone, I need to then fix things when I do them incorrectly. And so it's great when someone says, Hey, I think that this thing that you did totally does not work. And I'm like, Oh, you're totally right. Um, so I need to be very careful in those instances of reminding myself, you know, it's very easy as a writer. Don't you know me? And I'm awesome. I love everyone. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't have any idea that they're used to being hit in the face every time they say something. So it's very brave of them to come to you uh, and 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 point out when you're doing things that are a little bit, um, you know, off and that you could fix. Um, so I've had to I've had to think about that a lot as well. And I think more and more as there's more attention, you know, coming from even outside the genre where, yeah, people don't know me uh, as much as I think, right? People people actually, you know, you're like, oh, people know you. And I'm like, actually, they they might have read a blog post or two or maybe a book and saw me on Twitter, but I don't, there's very, there's much fewer who have actually been following me since 2004 throughout this entire journey. It's been really fun actually bumping into a couple who I have known. So they're like, I've been reading your blog since 2004. And that's actually kind of cool because <laughs> it, it's been a long journey. Um, well, that's true. But, yeah, but but for the most part, it's uh, it's mostly people who uh, only know a few things, and and they'll make some assumptions about me, which I think are interesting sometimes. <laughs> you have to go, no, no. Um, so uh, so actually, it's been it's been a little bit the opposite as far as as far as that goes. But again, I think I think I'm in this place where things are again. It feels like things are building, and my audience is building, and so that's just 
the impressions that I'm I'm getting at this point, it's it's much less of an echo chamber than it was even you know two or three years ago. So, does it make you more accessible than you want to be? Um, you know, honestly, sometimes sure. Uh, I think sometimes I just want to sit in a dark room and write and not talk to anyone, and that's fabulous. Um, and not worry about things. Um, at the same time, I realize that. And, and I've tweeted with, with John Scalzi about this a bit because I get all the time people like, oh, the Internet doesn't sell books and why are you on social media? And it's just a waste of your time. And I'm like, you know what? That's this is how I built my entire career, because people did not believe that there was an audience for these books and people did not believe that they could sell these books. The market was like, no, this is totally not interesting. It's, it's feminist. It's urban fantasy. It's, it's, it's fantasy. It's science fiction. It's this it's that you can't sell this. It's a genre mashup and no one's going to buy it. And so I have had to build that audience from the ground up and social media helped me do that. Um, that helped me connect with those people. Um, you know, Tumblr has been great for folks share my, my work and reviews and they get all excited and it's wonderful. Twitter has been amazing for me. Um, so at the one, you know, on the one hand I can go, yes, it'd be really great if I, if it was, I don't know how many years ago, but again, if it was how many years ago, no one would have, no one would have read my stuff. So I, so I feel like, especially again, right after the, after the Hugos, it's like all of a sudden there seems to be this shift, shift the last couple of years where suddenly the stuff that I wrote that I thought was completely on the margins that would sell maybe 3,000 copies, um, all of a sudden people are like, oh, actually, we can find those readers now. And people yeah. are really interested. And there's a lot of young people who are like, this is, I want books about me and my friends and that showed the diversity of the real world and that challenged me in ways that I'm just not getting um, with stuff that's either already on the shelves or stuff that's, you know, already been written. Um, so, yeah, as much as I'd like to, to live in a cave, um, <laughs> I, I recognize that, uh, you know, social media has, has, you know, built my career. Um, and again, and when pe that's why when people say to me, oh, social media doesn't work, I'm like, well, it doesn't work for you. Um, yeah. I, I worked at it in a way where, again, I, I have, I have limits and I have a comfort level and that I just stay within those limits and that comfort level. Um, and there are things that I won't write about. You know, that's true. I've, I've said that before to people where I'm like, you know, there, I'm not going to write a lot about sexual assault. I'm not going to write, um, you know, about my spouse. I'm not going to write about whether people are should or should not have children. Like there's certain topics I just have no interest in writing about. Um, and I, so I just don't touch them. Um, so I think some of that has just been, yeah, just managing my bound, my own boundaries and expectations and saying, you know, here's what you get and here's what you don't. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's been interesting. But when you talk about social media, you're talking about finding, finding your readers or the people who want to read Cam Hurley novels. I mean, if you, if you completely follow that to its illogical extent, then everybody would be writing Veronica Roth novels now. I mean, the massive social media, doesn't that push you in a certain kind of conformist direction that you don't want to go in? Uh, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, to the extent that uh, I was reading an article in the, uh, some Time magazine today about Andrew Weir, who self-published The Martian and it became a huge thing. And now it's, mm, yeah. it's on the Times list and it's going to be made into a movie and so forth and so on. Uh, and that's a kind of quirky thing that, that can happen in the internet age, but there's also this, this when you get beyond your own readership in the uh, in, in Twitter or, or Facebook or the internet or Tumblr or whatever, then you're getting into an area where everybody wants another Hunger Games or everybody wants another Divergent or everybody wants, there might be a small number of people who would like to see another Handmaid's Tale, but by and large, you don't want to actually write to those audiences' expectations, do you? Oh, no. Mm -mm. No, I want to challenge those people's expectations. I want to trick them into reading my books. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I am very, mu I'm very much aware, and that's to me what Mirror Empire was, especially, uh, much more so than God's War. Mirror Empire was saying, you're going to get all the things about fantasy that you like. It's going to be the orphan with powers. It's going to be the, you know, the, the young man who's a shepherd who becomes... Uh, leader of the people, there's going to be a dark and ominous threat with invaders. And then, oh, also, haha, I subvert all your expectations for everything else you think you're going to get. Um, uh -huh. But I want to go in and say, okay, here are 
um, some accessible things. Um, I think Kat Valente, what was she saying? You can write a book that has, you know, a weird narrative structure or a weird um, setting or weird something else. But she's like, but you can only do two out of three of those. You can't do three because then people just, you're not going to get read. Um, and so I said, okay, well, then I'm going to do, you're going to get the, the classic fam epic fantasy kind of narrative structure, but I'm going to yeah. change up, you know, all this up, these other things. Hello? Um, yeah. Hello? What? Yep, oh, near, we lost yeah, yeah. John. Oh, okay. Um, you there, oh, Gary? Yeah. Is Gary there? Maybe that was Gary. We lost. Gary? I'm. Um, Gary? Yeah, I just I just got cut off for oh, a weird. while. Okay. Oh, weird. Okay. Oh. Oh. But I hear. Oh. <laughs> okay, continue, please, Cam. Continue uh, onward. Um, yes. but yeah. So um, so so yeah. So um. My intention, uh, do I ever think that I'm going to, you know, yeah, write a Hunger Games? Eh, you know, maybe maybe in 20 years, everyone else will catch up with me. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I have certain things that I would like to write. Would I like to make those things a little more uh, accessible, you know, whether that's narratively so that I can get uh, kind of these ideas out to more people? Certainly. There's certainly things that, and I've had conversations with editors about this, so there are certainly things that I will change or improve i like to look at it as improvement as far as with my my craft um so that i can kind of lure more people in uh, i was talking about with an editor about again reducing the gauntlet and saying okay well let's let's introduce people to a world that gets progressively weirder um similar to again uh you know some other stuff um where you have this world that looks a little bit you know, oh, okay, this is a classic space opera. And then it gets, oh my gosh, there's like womb tech and all this weird stuff. So, and, and you can do that. There's a way to do that, to introduce my weird ideas, to get people in that first 50 pages. And when you're in and I've got you and I've hooked you, then you, then we drop the weird. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the direction that I'm trying to go in now, as far as like, let's stop dropping them in immediately and let's instead say, okay, here's all these things. Oh, you think you're safe and everything's wonderful. And then we start to drop, um, drop the gauntlets on you. So, um, so there's, uh, you know, I, I, I will only go so far, um, in, and people have asked me, will you do tie-in novels? And I'm like, no, nah. I mean, it'd have to be a bazillion dollars. And even then I'm like, do I really want to do that? Because I write marketing and advertising copy all day. It's words for someone else uh, in their world, basically. Um, it, do I really want to do that in my quote unquote free time? And I don't really, um, I have, the, I have a day job. I have some people who yeah. are paying me to write for hire. So why don't I write what I really want to write at the same time? I, I don't want to write for the same 5,000 people forever. That was why, you know, I, I sat down with my um, new agent, Hannah Bowman last year and oh. said, you know, I could write books for these same 10,000 people who bought God's war for my entire life. And yeah, I guess that's okay, but I want something more than that. I, I want to be able to grow that audience because I feel that it's there. I feel that I can do it. Um, a lot of people said that when I first started out, you're a niche writer, you're only going to write for this many people. And I was like, I don't think so. I think I can do better. And I think again, especially this last few years, I think the market's going to catch up. Um, I'm always writing a few years ahead of the market. Um, but I think we're starting to get to the point where I could possibly make a reasonable, um, you know, I won't quit my day job, but I could make a reasonable living if I wanted to, um, writing books in the next 10 years, maybe. Well, I mean, um, you know. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, Gene Wolfe is an example of that because he, he was always a Gene Wolfe writer for Gene Wolfe audiences, and yet he's mm -hmm. never – none of his novels have lost money, according to Tor. Uh, his audience has only grown over time, and he continues you know, writing specifically what he wants to write. Um, and he's had the good fortune of having an editor his entire career, David Hartwell, who supports him and a publisher who supports him. But by and large, he's perfectly happy writing what he wants to write now, and he has his audience is people don't think of it in terms of numbers; they think of it in terms of the Gene Wolfe audience, which grows. I mean, there are people now mm -hmm. who are for the first time reading, you know, yep. uh, the Shadow of the Torture. Um, mm -hmm. a, a, a quotation which I this is something I picked up when I was doing my own doctoral dissertation, but one of the most unsuccessful fantasy books ever written was A Voyage to Arcturus by David Lindsay. It sold 625 copies. Um, and, and he wrote like three or four novels after that, all of which sold fewer copies. Uh, but, but before Lindsay died, he said, okay, so only 700 people have bought this novel while I'm alive. 
But somebody every year for the next 200 years will yeah. read this novel. And he was absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. It's yep. gotten reprinted. It's never actually been out of print. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't go back into print until after he died. But <laughs> It's cold wind. Um, yeah. I actually wanted to ask as well. I mean, we're sort of progressing through the podcast, but um, <clears throat> you've just had a great deal of success you know, within the, our community with, with your nonfiction. Are you hoping to nudge attention back towards the, the novels and ha you know, have your name more associated with that than with your fan and other writing? You know, this this one's been a real hard one for me because uh, I think, like again, like any novelist, you want to be known as a novelist. Uh, that's where my heart is. That's the stuff that I love doing. But when I looked at the kind of the tradition that I came out of, which is really feminist science fiction, I realized that like all like Le Guin and Russ, like these are people who write a lot of nonfiction, and they do that because that is, I mean, that that is so integral. Uh, part of the novel writing. Um, they they are just kind of natural forms. They kind of spring out of each other. You write because you're angry uh, a lot of the time. And yeah. uh, so I have to go, I, I had to come to this like acceptance of, and I was annoyed with this writer. I was like, well, I don't write essays because I don't want to be known as an essay writer. I'm a novelist. And I'm like, well, that's great. But the problem is these things are related. So yeah. if I write a blog post called we have always fought that says women have always fought and we're not writing uh, you know enough about these actual human people who have lived um then people go wow maybe we should write more books about these actual human people who have lived and then people buy those books and ancillary justice is really good and then people start calling cameron hurley because cameron hurley writes that stuff too um so oh. these things are all very much related um and they all interact together um so as much as i would like to say you know, yes, gosh, it would be great if people paid more attention to the novels. I also have to say, well, they do pay attention more to the novels because, and they ask more about the novels because of the nonfiction. So I think that I'm going to tentatively say, um, you know, there's projects I can't announce for right now, but I'm going to tentatively say that they do actually interact, right? Yeah. There's there's a dotted line I can draw between the nonfiction work, which has really inspired uh, a lot of people, to the fiction work. Um, so so I think that, that yeah, they live they live comfortably together, and I, I did have to get to a place where I was comfortable with them being comfortable, uh, <laughs> and it was just looking at you know oh Joanna Russ and, and Le Guin, and in fact I actually prefer Le Guin's nonfiction to her fiction. Sure. So I'm a horrible person, but I, I really, I really do. Um, and there's going to be people who are the same with me where they're like, I just prefer your nonfiction. It's like, well, that's good because my idea is that if they like that nonfiction, they will also seek out other writers who are similar to myself and read their stuff. Um, and it just makes people more aware. Does that but make, hey, sorry, Gary, oh, go ahead. I was, was going to say, does that make you more considering about the kind of nonfiction you then write and put out there. I mean, you're not going to do a 26 blog post series about rereading Twilight. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, my God. <laughs> Strangely enough, no, I'm not. But absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I just wrote a... My last column for Locus was the status quo is not a neutral position. So, yeah, I, uh, I certainly do uh, consider my nonfiction and, and yeah, what, I'm, <laughs> what I'm putting out there. Well, had you thought collecting some of the nonfiction. I mean, it would be a small press kind of thing, but within the last couple of years, I mean, there, uh, Liverpool did a collection of Joanna Russ's reviews. Cory Doctorow's done nonfiction collections. Bill Gibson had a nonfiction collection out last year. Uh, you certainly have enough nonfiction now to put something out as a book. Yeah, I actually, I did put a collection of essays out in electronic form myself, uh, which is called We Have Always Fought, which is about the last year and change of, uh, you know, the best of. So I have that out, and I did have a, a very, very small press come to me uh, and offer to do a, a print version, but it was just, I, it wasn't a great offer. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I, I think we'll just wait until we have a better offer. Um, so, so yeah, it's certainly something I'd, I'd be open to entertaining offers. Um but uh, again, with all the other work that I have on my plate, um, that's not something I'm actively soliciting. If someone comes to me and we can work out a deal, that's fantastic. Um, but but yeah, as far as anything more than putting it up online as a collection, and you know, it does okay. It, I can pay a utility bill every month with it, so <laughs> so that's <laughs> nice. I'll take it. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's what science fiction, nonfiction is like. I've done that for a I long time. Utility bill is pretty much as as much as you can shoot for. It's the gold star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so I, I take it at the moment you're what buried in or consumed by Empire Ascendant at the moment. Yes. Yeah, I need to turn that one in uh, February first. So that is my entire life right now. Um, and then we're going to have a third book come out at an undisclosed time, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have that, that nailed down. And then other projects that I can't talk about yet, which I've alluded to, uh, a little bit here, but hopefully I'll be able to announce soon. So there's, there's quite a few things, uh, on my plate. And in fact, I've had people come to me and with other things and I've been like, I have to finish this book. I can't say <laughs> yes to anything else until I finish this book. Cause I mean, I took off, you know, July, August, September was completely eaten by promotion for mirror empire. Um, and I just got so behind on the writing. Um, you know, people, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's funny when, when you, work real hard to remote work because I've heard a lot of writers go, oh, it's it's just better to invest your time in writing the next book. And I said, well, that's great. But then you've written a book that 12 people read. So, do you, you know, you spent, you know, how many years of your life reading this, you know, writing this book, at least give it a good send off. Um, so I wanted to give it a good send off and, and it yeah. seems to have done all right. So. Um, so, yeah. So now I'm just I'm just just buried, <laughs> buried in this book. <laughs> and that'll be all my entire November December, my agent wants to see a draft January 1st, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> and then we got to turn it in February 1st, so. Fingers crossed. Yep, yep. <laughs> at some point, uh, point there's got to be tickling in the back of your mind when this is done. Am I going to go back to something that looks more like traditional science fiction? Am I going to stay in this sort of liminal space that I'm in? Am I going to be a fantasy writer? I mean, what do you actually... This is, this is your kind of college entrance exam essay question where do you expect to see yourself in five years uh i'm still gonna be writing you know these these fantasy science stories you know uh fantasy science fiction i i really like the merging of those two um i'm always gonna be writing weird stuff um my goal as a writer is to is certainly to become a better writer as far as making things a little bit more accessible I'd also like to work on my writing at the prose level. That's one of the things that has been very challenging with Mirror Empire. There are 160,000 words. They have very complicated plots. And I had, and I'm like, I just, I would need to, and it, they're very complex. So I'm like, I need to write very simply. Um, and I'd really like to go back to working on, at the prose level um, and making them a little prettier because I like to write pretty. Um, it just hasn't been something I, that I can, I can do um, mm. with the, the limitations that I have. So I'd like to work, um, you know, to be better at plotting, to be better at prose, um, to really up my craft and, and, uh, and be better. So as far as like what projects I would do, um, you know, who knows? Uh, it's one of those things that there's, there's, you know, I have this idea for a near future thriller. Um, there's a space opera that I've been talking about quite a bit. Um, there's other stuff that uh, I eventually, I really wanted to at some point go back to, uh, the gods were universe. You know, unfortunately the problem with that was, you know, the, the numbers on those are not, fantastic uh in part because of the publisher situation um but i love that world so much and it is so rich and deep uh that'd be fantastic to go back to that i had a, a trilogy that i i wanted to uh explore with that so um so it really depends um a lot of the time and it's been great um having having my agent uh hannah bowman uh because we sit down and yeah we do a touch base right as soon as every book's done okay well what are we what's next what are we working on next what are we contracted uh -huh. for um, what's okay, Karen, what are you thinking about? And she'll be like, you know, based on, you know, my understanding of, of what's going on, I, I would say go with this one instead of this one or do this instead of this. Um, and that's been really cool to have somebody that I can actually bounce ideas off who understands right. my work and my career. Um, that's been really, really phenomenal. And, and I think also has played a, a big part in, um, in where I'm at right now. So that's really cool. Um, so yeah, so, uh, in five years, where I'd like to be, I'd like to be a better writer who sells more. <laughs> well, not selling my soul, right? Again, I will still be exploring um, all of these same weird, uh, weird things that I do. I would just like to be a writer who can do those in a who technically, uh, you know, has the has the chops to do those in a way that is less confusing, maybe for people. Um, uh, I think Mirror Empire really 
has been testing and Empire Sun, it really is testing me. It is the book that I, I feel I'm just barely at the point in my craft that I can pull it off. Um, oh. And I, you, I, which I think you should always do. I think you should always be writing the book that you are not quite ready to write. Um, and so I very much look forward to the other stuff that, that I'll be tackling that I'm not quite sure I'm ready to write uh, going <laughs> forward. Well, with that, I guess we should say, first of all, that um, The Mirror Empire is obviously in store from uh, Angry Robot and has been out for about two months now, I think. So you can, you can find, find it in all good online and offline retailers should you be seeking it, and we do recommend it. And we'd like to thank you very much, Cameron, for taking the time to join us today. Uh, I know that sort of life is busy, so any time grabbed is, is, is time we're grateful for. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And Gary, whilst we prepare to go to sunny, <laughs> sunny Washington, uh, we will... Kenya, not quite Washington. Washington is a subway ride, but never, never mind. Sorry, okay. We're going to go hang out by a... By a um... <laughs> <laughs> by a cemetery in, 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 in Virginia and have a convention, mm. which is just sounds as cheery, cheery as it. But in fact, re really the problem is it's right by an airport, between an airport and a cemetery in Virginia. Yeah, airport and cemetery. And we will do, the, the next of these we will do face-to-face, -face, which we did back in August, which should be fun. Absolutely. So until then, thank you again, Cameron. And Gary, till next week. I will see you in a week. We remain now, as always, the Cood Street Podcast. <laughs>